Chapter 4, Double Vision By now, you and I both have come to the recognition that these meditations are not inclined to take a direct route from point A to point B. For those of us who like to have some sense of where we are going before we set sail, here is the notion I hope to arrive at if and when we reach the other shore. Black dog times call for poetry. But first let's discuss the world and the world behind and beyond the world. The modern, secular, scientific worldview that was birthed in the Enlightenment holds that there is one world and everything in that world can in some way be measured and quantified. I'm painting with the broadest of brushstrokes and I recognize that we all have our own particular metaphysics but the culture at large swims in this worldview unquestioningly, like a fish in water. In actuality, this worldview is as novel as it is anomalous. For all but the last one or two hundred years, most humans in most times have believed that there are actually two or more worlds. The apparent realm of physical reality, of change, death, and decay, and an unseen realm behind the world of appearances, a world of enduring, even eternal realities. Different cultures have experienced and articulated this world beyond the world with variations on a theme. Plato wrote of the realm of pure forms. The Celts spoke of the other world. The monotheistic religions each have their own versions of heaven and hell. The Persian mystics of the Middle Ages described the land of non-where, and Carl Jung postulated the archetypal realm of the unconscious. I'm not here to promulgate Neoplatonism or medieval Sufism, but we lose something essential by narrowing our consideration to the apparent and quantifiable, by closing the door, as it were, to the world beyond the world. I suspect that this loss is at, or in close proximity to, the heart of our civilizational crisis. But perhaps the door is not as firmly shut as we think it to be. Let us enlist here the 13th century Persian scholar and poet Muhammad Jalal al-Din Rumi, here translated by Coleman Barks, to open the door a crack, or perhaps if we're fortunate, to push it wide open. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. My own take on Rumi's poem is that the sleep of which he warns is the forgetfulness or neglect of the world beyond the world. The modern worldview would assert that the very idea of a world beyond the world is superstitious and unscientific. And yet, for all of its manifold qualities, the modern worldview is shackled by its own literalness. It conflates the real with the literal. The poet, and here I should be clear that I use the word poet broadly and as shorthand for any artist, musician, writer, or creative spirit who goes back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The poet, in this sense, knows that something does not have to be literally, quantifiably true in order to be real. To paraphrase Pablo Picasso, art is a lie that reveals the truth. 
Closing the door to the world beyond the world has at least two fundamentally dangerous implications. First, it hollows out, demystifies, flattens, deanimates the world. What we see is what we get. The only meaning outside of the human mind is an illusion, a mere projection upon unconscious matter. What we can measure is all there is, and all there is is what we can measure. This is a profoundly unsatisfying state of affairs for a species that draws more sustenance from meaning and purpose than from food and water. For most of human history, every bird, every tree, every rock was thought to have what we might call soul. Soul, of course, cannot be measured. And as the world around us has increasingly been perceived as soulless, it is hardly surprising that we have had fewer compunctions about its wholesale exploitation. Second, without the world beyond the world, I would argue that our grasp of reality is less complete, and we are therefore more prone to persist down maladaptive pathways. With only one world, only one worldview, our vision is distinctly impaired. Here we will dip gingerly into quantum physics. In the 19th and early 20th centuries, there was a disagreement among physicists over whether light behaved as a particle or as a wave. Either side's model helped explain some phenomena, but not others. The dispute eventually resolved with a paradox. A photon behaves both as a particle and a wave. Such a paradox confounds material logic, yet it gives us a fuller, more complex, more nuanced appreciation of the cosmos in which we are embedded. Einstein summed up the developments as such. We have two contradictory pictures of reality, he said. Separately, neither of them fully explains the phenomena of light, but together they do. What the poet offers is a reminder of human beings' capacity for a sort of double vision, a way of perceiving the wave as well as the particle, the seen and the unseen. But the world beyond the world has its own physics, its own mysterious ways, and what the poet writes or sings or paints is by necessity metaphor. It points to something ineffable that cannot be concretized or literalized. The work of the poet, to borrow imagery from Buddhism, is a finger pointing at the moon, not to be confused with the moon itself. The poet's gesture is towards patterns and possibilities. With the door to the world beyond the world closed, without our double vision, we become easily fooled by appearances. We confine ourselves to the hard facts, observe what is happening on the surface, unaware of the currents of the depths. If the door is closed for too long, if we do not listen to our poets or to the poetic impulse within ourselves, we can persist down a path increasingly untethered to reality. Any person or culture sufficiently untethered to reality will eventually invite an apocalypse. Apocalypse, however, meant something very different to the Greeks who coined the term. It referred to a thinning of the veils, a revelation, an opening, as it were, of the door between the worlds. Apocalypse, fittingly enough, is born of paradox. The world and the world beyond the world become closest at the moment they become untenably far apart, when there is a glitch in the matrix, when the tension between the superficial and the profound, the seen and the unseen, 
reaches its zenith and collapses into itself. Apocalypse is an opportunity for waking up, for remembering that the door is not closed, but round and open, for availing ourselves of the double vision that sees the particle as well as the wave. The historian Arnold Toynbee devoted his life's work to exploring the patterns behind the rise and fall of civilizations. His conclusion was this, a civilization collapses under its own weight if its leadership loses its capacity to recognize and respond to the creative wellsprings, its poetic sensibilities, the writers, mystics, artists, prophets, musicians, who travel back and forth across the door sill and give a people their double vision and the possibility of renewal and rebirth. What does this look like in practice? A civilization in crisis can, and often succeeds, in slamming the door shut and sealing its own fate. It silences its artists and intellectuals. It pulls funding for the arts in the name of necessity, in the name of austerity. Or it can pursue another path. In 1935, at the height of the Great Depression, the Roosevelt administration launched the Works Progress Administration. Federal project number one of the WPA employed over 40,000 artists, writers, playwrights, and musicians, among them John Steinbeck and Jackson Pollock. This is the mark of leadership that recognized that poetry in its broad sense is not an adornment, not a luxury for times of plenty. It is an essential human capacity that enables us to perceive and adhere to the deeper rhythms of life, to keep time with timelessness. In these times of thin veils and revelations, let us close by considering the words of two souls who perceive the world with double vision so that we may further develop our own. In the opening lines of his Auguries of Innocence, William Blake calls to us from the world beyond the world, describes a side of reality that is not flat and linear, but holographic, that holds depths within the minutiae. To see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wildflower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. Nearly 200 years later, Mary Oliver echoed Blake when she distilled the work of the poet into 12 simple words. Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. This is the insight of the poet, that our astonishment arrests us, stops us in our tracks, and transports us to the place where the veil thins and the two worlds touch. So in these black dog times, may we be repeatedly, fruitfully, and poetically astonished.